Well, doesn't the driveway, the parking lot look great? <laughs> Two men did it, and they don't want to be mentioned. So I will just thank them for their love for the church family here at Hope Chapel. On the other hand, I come in this morning with a cold, and I mention it to somebody, and he goes with that little fiddle thing. I can't do it, but you know what I mean? So it's a good day to preach about love. And I want to share with you today some of the things that I've learned about love over my 43 years of Christian experience, uh, because uh, from the get-go, I, I knew the importance of the Great Commandment. It must have been like one of the first sermons I heard or something, but I realized that uh, the Great Commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, that all of God's commandments were summed up in these. These were extremely uh, important. And uh, I also came to realize from the very start that um, I had to learn how to love every single person that I would encounter. And that was very difficult because when I became a born-again Christian, at that time, I actually hated my stepmother. And I immediately realized at the onset of my Christian life, I had to learn to somehow love this woman. And I had to learn how to love every person that encountered my path. Uh, we're, we're told in the scriptures that you know husbands are to love their wives as uh, Christ loved the church. And that's in that same passage that talks about husbands being the head of the home and women being in submission to their husbands. And we get all focused on all the emotional issues surrounding submission. And we completely miss the fact that the greater responsibility, the more difficult, the more challenging responsibility rests upon the husband not to love his wife enough to get by, but to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That's a tall order. And we're going to talk about that at the men's breakfast on Saturday morning when I'll have the opportunity to specifically share on that subject. And so uh, I think I saw a few wives nudging their husbands. But we're also to, uh, you know, love our neighbor. And, you know, we think of neighbor as the person that lives next door. I think uh, uh, Tom Holliday in our devotional reading yesterday uh, made it very clear that our neighbor is everybody that we come in contact with, even if they're a stranger, even if we don't know them, like the, the Good Samaritan that came across that anonymous man uh, laying along the side of the road and how he helped him. I mean, we can't escape the obligation to love every person that we come in contact with. In fact, Jesus even said that we are to love our enemies, which means there's a way that we can learn to love those who do not love us, to love those who mistreat us, to love those who uh, we find unlovable. We can learn to love every person uh, in our pathway. There's a, a great movie uh, called To End All Wars. Anyone ever seen that? It, it, it's one of my favorites. Now, it is a war movie, and it is violent, but it takes place in a Japanese prisoner of war camp where allied forces are being mistreated and used in uh, hard labor. And, um, of course, the vast majority of the allied forces um, who have been taken prisoner absolutely hate 
meet their uh, captors. But there is actually a group of Christians in the camp who are trying to figure out how do we learn to love our enemies. Folks, it's a great story. I mean, it's not for kids, but it's a, it's a great story. So, uh, so to end all wars, and uh, there's Mr. Hate there, and there's Mr. Love there. All right? So you, you check that out sometime. It's a great movie. Uh, but, um, you know, what? We, we use the word love so frivolously uh, and in so many different ways in the English language. I mean, sometimes what we mean is, you know, I like you. Uh, I receive enjoyment out of being around this group of people, and they enjoy my company. We enjoy each other. We love each other. And uh, sometimes that's what we mean. And perhaps the word like would be a better word for that. Sometimes <coughs> what we mean is uh, when I'm around you, uh, I like the feelings that I get, especially with people of the opposite gender. And uh, perhaps a better word for that is I'm infatuated with you rather than I love you. Uh, sometimes, you know, we, we think our hormones, our, our, our sexual urges are, are raging and, and we get that mixed up into the concept of love. You know, we even use it so frivolously as to say, uh, I love Tom Brady, which means I'm a fan of Tom Brady or I'm a fan of the Red Sox or, um, or uh, sometimes we say, I love hot dogs. And then in the next sense, we say, I love God. You know what I mean? So we really use the word love in a, a lot of different ways. And um, I've actually found it helpful to think about the four Greek words for love. Now, I'm using Greek not at all to impress you, but because they were more precise with their use of the word love. And uh, it, it actually helps us understand what people mean when they say that they love. And uh, it... Uh, <coughs> Uh, helps us understand what's going on in human relationships. Storge is the loving bond that exists between a parent and a child. It's the kind of love that we see in families. Uh, Martha and I, for the last few months, have had the privilege of having our little uh, granddaughter, Elena, uh, living with us, her parents, too. Uh, we probably wouldn't love her as much if her parents weren't living with us, too. But... <laughs> But today, Elena moves out of our house into the new house that they bought, which they've now fixed up. And I'm really sad because I love Elena, you know, and it's a storge kind of love. There's another word, eros, which, from which we get our word erotic, and it refers to the, the kind of attraction and affection uh, between two people, uh, uh, you know, and it's more of a sexual uh, connotation. Um, and uh, we hear that use of the word love all the time in the English language. And then there's phileo, which is uh, the love that forms between acquaintances and friends. These are the people that you enjoy hanging around. They enjoy hanging around you. You get pleasure out of hanging around each other, and we call that love. And then there's agape love. And this is what we really want to focus on because this is really what the 40 days of love is all about. Uh, and um, uh, there are 250 mentions of agape in the New Testament, whether it's in the noun form, agape, or in the uh, 
uh, verb form, agapeo. Uh, 250 mentions of that. I'm going to show you 10 real quickly uh, because they make a great point. Agape love. Well, before we move on, let me, let me say that uh, dorge comes naturally. It requires no work. Uh, eros comes naturally, requires no work. Phileo comes naturally, requires no work. But agape love, this unselfish kind of love that we're talking about, does not come naturally. It is not natural for human beings to exercise agape love. It's a supernatural kind of love. It's a love that, that we need God to help us to deliver on. And so that's a very important point before we move on. But here's agape being used to describe God's love for us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. <coughs> God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. So it's God's love for us, but also our love for each other that God wants us to have, wants us to learn, wants us to develop, that does not come naturally, that is a fruit of the Spirit, for the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's something that He must put in us, and it's something that we must cooperate with Him in, in the process of learning. It requires effort, because it's completely contrary to our naturally selfish nature. And uh, he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And this is how we know what love is. <coughs> we saw this on the screen earlier. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And so there you have 10 of the 250 occurrences of the use of the word agape in the uh, New Testament. And I've been working on, I actually studied all 250 references once for my devotions back in 1979. And uh, I've been tweaking this definition of love for years. <coughs> Excuse me. From the start, it's been sounding very similar, but this is how, what it's evolved to today. That agape love is choosing to act in another person's best interest, regardless of how I feel and whether or not I receive anything in return. I think that's a definition that's worth memorizing. I have seen, I, I have applied this in my life over and over thousands upon ten thousands of times. It has daily relevance to our lives as Christians. I happen to think it's a definition worthy of memorization or at least getting the big concepts of it down, which is what we're going to focus on here today. <coughs> but uh, I have been uh, a part of working with couples where one couple has been unfaithful to the other and all the relatives around or some of the relatives and friends around them were saying dump him or dump her and uh, these are people that decided that they were going to show agape love 
They were going to show forgiveness and they were going to rebuild the trust that needed to be rebuilt in the relationship. And there are some couples that I've worked with that if you were to meet them today, you would never, ever know that their relationship at one time was marred by an affair because they learned how to agape love one another. I've seen people on the brink of divorce recommit themselves once they understood this concept of uh, agape love. And they are living together today for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. I've seen ho-hum marriages uh, get some excitement in them. I've seen incompatible, incompatible couples actually come to realize through understanding agape love that uh, they're not so incompatible, that there are things that they do have in common. I've seen parents who were tearing the hair out of their heads trying to figure out uh, how to love their rebellious child uh, who understood agape love. And sometimes it went tender, and sometimes it went tough. But they, they at least had a perspective upon which to react to their children. I've seen relationships improve in schools, in workplaces, in, on church boards, uh, amongst friends, as a result of understanding this concept of agape love. I have seen the power of agape love in my own experience. I have seen it work in the experience of others. I think it is a definition that is worthy of memorization or of at least getting the uh, components down. I'll take that water. Look at that act of love. <coughs> I actually brought a bottle of water with me, but I left it down there. Oh, and that's tea. Is it, is it lemon tea with honey? How, how would she know? Um, well, that actually felt pretty good, though. All right. So, you know, I, we, we've seen this, uh, this uh, power of love thing over and over again uh, in my experience. So here's, uh, let's just run through some points just to kind of clarify it, to kind of break it down and think about it a little bit further. Pastor Neil brought this point up last week that agape love is a choice. It's not an emotional response. We have so much... We, Emotions do not lead us. If, if we must feel loving toward a person in order to act loving toward that person, uh, we're never going to agape love that person. The way agape love works is that it leads with the will just because loving another person is the right thing to do. So it decides to do what's in that other person's best interest and the feelings usually follow and catch up with. So I, I've discovered in my experience that uh, I generally like most people or can easily find a way to like almost everybody that I meet because when agape love is at the center of your relationships, you find that it's quite easy to like people. It's not always easy. There are some difficult people. There are some very um, uh, hard people to love in my life and in yours. But nevertheless, uh, agape love increases the chances that we're going to be able to love them. Uh, second is that love is active, not passive. But love must be expressed. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, I love my church family. And by that mean, I've really got no hard feelings against anybody in my church family. But love is not the absence of hard feelings. Love is the... Uh, 
the proactive, uh, visible uh, demonstration of my love for a person. Uh, love finds expression in various ways. Uh, there's a book that's been written, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And, and these are the five uh, ways that love can be expressed. Uh, one, oops, wait a second. Uh, okay, you know what? Maybe I don't have it on my screen. But you have it in your notes, right? The first way is words, right? Uh, you know, saying I love you, giving a person an encouraging word and so forth. But in a few weeks, I'm going to be talking about uh, this whole um, idea of loving people uh, with our words. And so I won't say anything uh, more about that today. But also touching, proper touch, is a way that we can communicate love with other people. Um, there's this story in Mark chapter 1 that I just absolutely love. This leper comes up to Jesus and says, if you would, if you would be willing to make me clean, you can heal me. And Jesus, it says, had compassion on the man and touched him and said, be clean. There was no need for Jesus to touch the man in order for the man to be healed. Jesus did other miracles in which he didn't touch individuals. But Jesus knew that people didn't touch lepers back in the day. And Jesus knew that this man hadn't been touched in years and communicated love to this man by touching him and telling him, you will be clean. The scriptures uh, give us this uh, these uh, instructions to greet one another with a holy kiss, uh, to uh, uh, greet one another with a kiss of love. And um, I did a, a word study on that word kiss, and I found out that it isn't necessarily uh, a, uh, it doesn't necessarily involve the lips. It's a visible, it's a physical demonstration of love, a handshake, a hug, and in many cultures, a kiss. In fact, when Martha and I announced our engagement, um, you know, we did it in a Russian community because that's her background, and uh, the men there kiss, and, uh, you know, all these men were coming up to me and kissing me, and, and I was kissing them, you know, the two things, uh, and... Um, uh, you know, and, and they were excited and everything. But at the end of the night, my lips were numb. So there's an art to learning how to kiss men. But, um, but uh, you know, but it's the idea that one expression that we have is a physical expression of love uh, by touching people. Another is uh, time, giving people uh, our undivided attention. There are 33 stories in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in which Jesus completely stopped what he was doing and paid attention to an individual. That was an expression of love. Uh, gifts is another one. Uh, Proverbs 18:16 says that a gift opens the way for the giver. Uh, a properly given gift can uh, open the heart of another person. And uh, it's really not so much about the gift, as you know, but it's the thought that counts. Like if I'm at Sam's Club doing the humdrum work of getting groceries, and then I see these flowers, and I think, oh, that would brighten up Martha's day to take her home one of these uh, uh, discounted uh, uh, flowers. Um, you know, I used to think, I don't know if there's any guys like me, uh, I used to think like, I was raised on a farm, you know, flowers need roots. As soon as you cut them, they're dying, you know, so why not be practical and get a living plant rather than cut flowers? I thought that way for over 20 years of my marriage. It's only been in the last decade that I've learned the value of cut, uh, <laughs> cut flowers, uh, 
I, I, they might cost me 14 bucks, but I get my money's worth out of them. <laughs> and then there's service. Um, that's doing something helpful to someone else. Jesus, uh, John 13, said uh, that he was about to show the full extent of his love for his disciples, and he washed their feet and told them to do the same and to serve one another. Service is one of the most profound ways service to other people, meeting their needs, that we show love. So that was point number two, is that the love needs to be uh, demonstrated. Point number three is that love gives sacrificially. Now, let's go back to our word study of agape. Listen to these usages of agape and the word gave. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The Apostle Paul said that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. Do you see a word being matched up there with... with uh, the word love. Indeed, it is the word giving. And it's not only giving, but it's sacrificial giving. And sacrificial giving of our time and our energy and our money and our possessions is involved in our definition of agape love. Then there's uh, love is unselfish and considerate. Uh, I love this verse in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition out of driven self-interest, which all of us are born with and are naturally wired to aspire for, to look out what's in my best interest. And, um, but it says, you know, don't do it out of self-ambition uh, or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Consider others to be more important than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, love is unselfish, and love is considerate of what other people desire and want. One of the great flaws in so much of our thinking today, and this really comes out when you seek marital counseling from a secular counselor, is that basically we perceive life as, you know, two people trying to negotiate their selfishness. How can you remain selfish and get what you want out of this relationship? How can I remain selfish and get what I want out of this relationship? That's the way that we try to make marriages work uh, in our culture. But that is completely foreign to the uh, teachings of Jesus and his apostles. In fact, what marriage and friendship is about and relationships within the church is two people who both give and give all with no consideration of what they might get in return. That's the nature of agape love. That's the power of agape love. That's where agape love becomes powerful. That's where when one person single-handedly brings agape love into a relationship, it has a transforming effect upon that relationship in many, many cases. One time this couple came to me and they were... They, they, they were newly married, but it was a disaster. 
And um, I started uh, meeting with the husband by himself and explaining this concept of agape love, that you do it because it's the right thing in God's eyes, not to save your marriage. See, that's another thing is we often, you know, I'll do what I need to do to save my marriage. And what we often mean by that is how much do I need to do to save my marriage and, you know, and get over this hump. But with agape love, with a husband loving his wife, for example, as Christ loved the church, there's no thought of saving the marriage. There's no thought of what one gets in return. There's only the thought that God has commanded me to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. And I focus on that because that is the right thing to do. And it's a much higher motivation than just saving my marriage. And so um, I, I explained to this guy, you know, the nature of agape, love and everything. We spent hours on it. I have him reading stuff on it and so forth. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, uh, he, I send him out with the assignment, go practice for a couple weeks and then we'll get together and we'll see how it went. He comes back in a couple weeks and he says, it didn't work. I'm like, what didn't work? Uh, my marriage, it still stinks. Well, first of all, you haven't given it enough time. But secondly, you're motivated all wrong. You're motivated to save your marriage. What you need to be doing is being motivated to do, to love your wife as Christ loved the church, just because it's the commanded thing to do. It's the right thing to do. He couldn't grasp that. What we want so often is well-negotiated selfishness. And that's not what agape love is all about. Uh, fifth is that uh, love thinks about what is really in the best interest of the other person. Now, um, I find that this is probably one of the most difficult things about love is knowing exactly what is truly in the best interest of another person. I mean, sometimes it's a no-brainer, but sometimes it's a real challenge because we're not all-knowing like God, and we don't always know what another person is thinking or what their background is, what their experience is, what their ex perspective on things are. We don't always know when we ask them that they're being honest with us. We don't always know all the facts regarding the situation. We don't know the future. And there's always or frequently a number of X factors involved in trying to discern what is truly best. Let me give you just a very practical illustration and I can't even give you all of the circumstances surrounding it, but it just happened yesterday. I'm snow blowing and shoveling my driveway. I am exhausted. And then I look down the street and there's this car that's completely buried with snow. And there's these two young men that come out and they're looking at it and wondering what they're going to do. First of all, in my neighborhood, there weren't supposed to be any cars in the street. And uh, everybody is, they're off street parking and the snow plows had to go around it and they dumped the snow on top of it, making things worse. And these guys are looking like, what are we going to do? And I'm keeping my eyes on them while I'm, you know, doing my snow blowing because uh, it's entertainment, you know. <laughs> I am not kidding you. They start removing snow like this with their hands and gloves. And now I'm like, okay, I got to preach a sermon tomorrow on love. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking like, what is the loving thing? Now, you know, maybe the loving thing was to go over with my snowblower and spend the hour that it would take to get that car undug. Maybe that would be the loving thing. I decided that I wasn't going to do that, that these young people needed to learn a lesson about city ordinances. <laughs> and uh, the fact that, you know, you need to be prepared for storms like this and at least own a shovel. 
So, I don't know if I did the right thing. We never know what's best, but I gave them two, sh- I, I let them use two of my shovels and let them dig themselves out with the hopes that these young people would learn from this experience. I don't know. Is that the right thing? That's just a point that we don't always know what the right thing to do is. But how can we discern? We can pray, right? And I did. I prayed. I, I love this Philippians 1. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Discerning what is best. That's tough stuff. But the scriptures come into play because what if, um, what if, for example, you know, we can apply this in a, a zillion different ways, but let's go with parent-child relationship. Uh, let's go with um, uh, a teenager who says that, uh, you know, mom and dad, you're interfering with my happiness by making me be in the house at 11 o'clock at night. There's so much good stuff that goes on out there after 11 o'clock. And all my friends and their parents let them do it. And, um, you know, um, it even gets to the point where, you know, hey, smoking weed is not as bad as you think. Uh, sleeping around is not as bad as you think. Sleeping in till two in the morning, two, two in the afternoon the next day is not as bad as you think. But you see, we have the scriptures to give us some information about this. What's in a person's best interest is not what they think is going to bring them the greatest level of happiness. We take the scriptures into consideration with faith that God has given us commandments that are in our best interest, that he created us, he knows how we work best, and he has given us commandments, not randomly, like I think I'll make this right, I think I'll make that wrong. It's based on our best interest because he loves us. And we deal with this conflict within ourselves every day. Am I going to trust what I think will bring me my happiness or am I going to trust what God says will bring me my happiness, what is in my best interest? And so the scriptures inform us God's ways are best and we're best off living life when we trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not unto our own understanding and in all our ways acknowledge him. So scripture comes into play, but also advice. You know, um, I just can't believe sometimes how many decisions people make without ever having consulted a peer or a professional or whatever. And sometimes that's what we need to know what's best. Martha and I, when we were raising our teenagers, just as an example, we had this older couple. They They were in their 80s. We loved them. And they'd have us over for dinner. We'd have these little kids sitting at their table. They, they, we had a family of five. I mean, they talk about love sacrificing. They, they sacrificed their china and their, uh, their food and their time in order to have this family over for dinner. <coughs> but, you know, they would often say, you know, when we were raising our kids, we made too big of an issue out of certain issues. And they really encouraged us to, you know, choose your battles wisely. And, boy, that piece of advice, I mean, I don't know. You know, we didn't always choose right because we are finite human beings. But that giving a second thought to, you know, do I really want to make this a battleground? Is this really in the big perspective of things? You know, and so they were invaluable to us. And um, we've got a whole church family here of invaluable people that can just really speak into our lives and give us advice on a lot of different things and uh, help us discern what is best. And so we pray, we, uh, we take the scriptures into consideration, we seek advice, and then we make the best decision uh, that, that we can make. 
And in that way, hopefully, we discern, uh, you know, what is truly best for another person. And um, like I said, sometimes love is tender, and sometimes love is tough. Uh, yesterday, I chose the tough route with the snow shovelers, you know. Um, but uh, love is both. It's always governed by what is best. And some people think that, no, love is always tender. No, it's not always tender. Sometimes love is tough. Sometimes love is so tough that it risks losing a relationship because you love the person so much. So agape love is choosing to seek the best interest of another person, regardless of how I'm feeling and in spite of whether or not I receive anything in return. Now, how long do you think it will be before you can actually put those principles into practice? I'll bet you wouldn't even get out of the sanctuary before some of those principles would come into play. You will have a great opportunity in the lobby after the service. You will have a great opportunity in the ride home unless you came alone. And you will have a great opportunity with your families this week and your co-workers and your schoolmates tomorrow. This is something that goes on 24-7, 365. Well, maybe not when we're asleep. Let's pray. And I'm simply going to pray the prayer for Hope Chapel that the Apostle Paul prayed for the Thessalonian church. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. And all God's people said, Amen.